The following message is brought to you from Gathering Community Church, located in Surfside Beach, South Carolina. And now, here's Pastor Benji Simmons. All right, let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you grant to us the privilege, the honor, and the joy uh, to share together, to be together as a body in Christ, to come to this place of worship, to recognize your goodness, to recognize who you are. But more importantly, we just want to give you our love. We want to give you our praise. We want to give you what's, what's due your name because we know this worship is not about us. It's about you, and it's about who you are and what you provide. And we just want to say we love you, we honor, we thank you, and we recognize you as King of kings and Lord of lords. And thank you for being our Father. In your name that we pray. Amen. Our song of thanksgiving is victory in Jesus. Let's all stand and sing that. this morning Jesus takes care of us it's found in first Peter chapter 5 verses 6 to 11 let me give you about six principles and four promises so that's 10 points of a message so if you're hungry sorry no I'm just kidding we'll try to go through it fast enough for you not to bore you too much but in first Peter chapter 1 uh, verses 5 through 6 is a scripture that you probably a little bit familiar with. If you're not, you probably heard words that have brought you uh, encouragement or scriptures that remind you of what uh, God can do for you. In 1 Peter chapter 5, 
verses 6 through 11, it says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care, singular, upon him, because he cares, plural, for you. Be sober, be on alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him and be firm in your faith, knowing that the same sufferings are being experienced by your brothers in the world. Now, the God of all grace, who called you to eternal glory in Christ Jesus, will personally restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered a little while. Now, there's a lot of positives in that scripture, and hopefully I've read it in such a way to bring some emphasis. But, you know, those things that are wrapped up in this message are for all of us every day of our lives, every generation, every group of people, every person needs to hear. Christianity at its very beginning obviously was seen as a, a little cult or a faction of Jewish life in Judaism. And toward the middle of the first century, it established itself as being unique. And yet, from the very beginning of the Christian church, Christians were persecuted for their faith in Christ. Now, Peter wrote this letter not only to the persecuted Christians, but to the ones who are struggling in everyday life with issues. And yet, it's about those who struggle to live out their faith and to remain strong in living out their faith. Now, I know that every one of us at times have had weak moments in our life that we could testify that we didn't have the amount of faith needed for that particular task. Maybe we grew weary. Maybe we grew weak. Maybe we grew a little fearful, and our faith kind of lacked. So even this speaks to us when we face those sorts of situations. But most of the struggles that people face, like you and I face, may come from a failure that we have created in our life. And yet we remain still inside that failure. We're still remaining under the lordship of Jesus Christ. So the secret to the effective Christian life is found in living in the strength of God, His strength only and not our own. It is in living under His control and not in our self-rule. So you keep those in mind as you think of this message. It's not about our self-rule. It's about the control that God has in our life. When God has full control, you and I have greater happiness. When God has full control, we hear things that we didn't know existed. When God is in full control, we begin to respond in ways that we didn't think we could respond in. When God is in control, we sense love greater than what we could ever imagine. When God is in control, we begin to do, do things that are beyond what we understand that we could actually do personally. So it's easy to serve the Lord when times are good. It costs us nothing to hold on to that faith, but there are times when we do grow weary, when we feel defeated, and yet when it seems like the circumstances of life surely overwhelm us. It is in those moments like these that we choose in dealing with life 
in our own strength and we try to accomplish ourselves, but we are encouraged to remain dependent upon the Lord only through all those events. So if you find yourself in a situation this morning, take heart. God understands you. He understands what you're facing. He understands sometimes we let self-rule dominate more than we in our dependence of him. He understands that we grow weary and we grow faint, but yet be strengthened because he is there to strengthen you and I. He's there to perfect us. He's there to establish us and to demonstrate how he wants to care for us. So let me give you six principles, six principles of how that in this passage that we need to draw our own attention back on to remain faithful, to remain intact in our Christian faith, to remain faithful to God, to remain our minds set on Him. First of all is be humble. Be humble. The Greek word for humble is in passive voice, which can be translated be humbled. You know, that sounds a little different than just be humble. Now be humbled. In this case, it is the hand of God who humbles us. It's the hand of God who's on us. He instructs us and he allows us to be humbled in the process. To the first readers, it was persecution that God used to humble them. And yet to you and me, it could be the frustrations of everyday life. It could be what we're experiencing right now. Rather, it could be more, it's more than just our complaining here. It's what's happening to us. And yet when we submit to the Lordship of Christ, only when we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, He will exalt us. Sounds crazy, doesn't it? We're to be humbled to be exalted. Sounds like a opposite poles, doesn't it? But there's a difference when God exalts us and when we try to exalt ourselves. And so we are given the joy of when we are humbled, we are being humbled by God through whatever circumstances that happen, that God in the same time is exalting us under His glory and under His leadership. God uses a variety of things to humble us. Sometimes He uses other people, who I call the ones who give us the extra required grace we need, and He uses those type people to help us to be humbled. He uses tragedy. He uses loss. He uses circumstances. He uses the unexpected. He uses things that we don't understand, we can't explain. He, he, de- he uses the unfairness of our lives. And it's so that he can, he's not that he brings the calamity in our life, but he allows that calamity to occur so that good can come from that. We can be humbled under him so that we are exalted in his presence. Romans 8, 28 says, For God can work all those things for the good to those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. So God is up to something when there's tragedy that happens. He's up to something when calamity occurs. He's up to something when we're facing the unexpected. He's up to something to do something in our lives when we can least expect it. And it could be that He's humbling us to that point so that we can be exalted. Our problem is that we often want to accept the sovereignty of God you know, in our lives as being something one way, but living under that sovereignty is different than knowing the sovereignty. So it's no longer the delusion of self-rule. We complain, we struggle, we squirm, but we allow God to humble us 
which means that we remember that God is in control, that God's got this, that what's happening to me, I'm not a forgotten foe on the planet Earth, that he's up to something beyond what I can imagine. Nothing will happen that he's not allowed. And when he allows it, it has a purpose. And that purpose is always for the good. You may not see it, I may not see it at the time, but there is a good in that purpose. It means accepting that all those things that happen to us, we must accept it without resentment. We must accept it without rebellion. What happens many times in, in my life through the past is when something happens, I want to get angry. You know, you hold your fist back at God and say, it's your fault. Well, we shouldn't rebel against him. We shouldn't blame him. We should be looking, okay, God, I don't understand this. I don't like it. I would love for it to change immediately. It's not what I woke up this morning thinking I was going to deal with today, but because I'm dealing with it, I know you're up to something. Help me to learn what you're teaching me. That's a different perspective than to say, why, God, why? And so humility means accepting God's rule in our life. It means accepting his rule when we don't understand it. It means accepting his rule when he doesn't give us an explanation. The word humility in Greek language means to make low, to abase, to make small, to be weakened. It is contrary to human nature to be weakened. It's contrary to human nature to be made low. It's contrary to human nature to be made small. It goes against the grain of our own self-worth and it's hard for us to grasp what humility really is. But the kingdom of God, things are different than in the empires of the world. The verse immediately before us says that God is opposed to the proud. He gives grace to the humble. And yet the rest of verse 6 that we read says that at the proper time, God will exalt those who have been humbled. So it's not until our pride is dead <laughs> that we are exalted. Humility means we lose our pride, but we gain God's favor. And yet understanding that when we're humbled, we're made low, we're abased, we come to our sense of wrong weakness, and we're forced to depend upon God, and we find that it's good to do so. And that's the understanding of being humble. A second principle is in verse 7 that we read. It says, cast all your care upon him for he cares for you. You notice it's singular and plural. Cast all your care upon him. Now, everything in your life is one care to God. But when we all do it together, it becomes all the cares. So God is able. He's a big boy. He can handle your care. He can handle who you are. He can handle whatever difficulty you're, you're thinking. He can handle whatever unexpected you're going through. He is big enough to handle your problems and mine at the same time. He's able to handle the entire world at the same time. And so we throw all our care upon him because he cares for us all. So what we see is a lot, God sees as a little. And so he can take whatever we give him and we can, we can even give him our self-reliance. We can give him all those humility positions to recognize so that we can accept the de dependence on God. So being dependent on God is an important principle 
that follows our humility. The Greek word translated care or anxiety used here is to express the burden that comes with anxious care and apprehension. And so when we're apprehended, you know, we have that apprehension, we give it to God. How many have that in your life? You're given the news, oh my goodness, you know, I'm going to have to move to another state. Oh my goodness, we're now pregnant. Oh my goodness, we, we've got to sell our home. You get all these things. You, you go to school and you learn your child's being bullied. You understand you can go to the doctor that you're given a health report that wasn't what you expected. And you're thinking, oh my goodness, you got a lot of apprehension. You got anxiety occurs. Anxious moments happen in our life. And so what are we to do? We're to depend on God. We're to cast our care upon him. Why? Because he cares for us. He can handle it. Listen to what Psalm 55 says. Cast your burden on the Lord and he will support you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. Interesting thing about that verse in Psalm 55 is that the Hebrew word for burden means what he has given you. What he has given you. A literal translation. Now, a loose translation is this. Throw upon the Lord whatever burden he has assigned to you and he will sustain you as you bear it and he will allow you not to fall down. In other words, he will keep you strong. He will keep you when you're shaking in your boots. And yet, whereas humility causes to see our weakness, dependence causes us to see God's strength. Isn't that cool? And so when we are humbled by the circumstances that come our way, and then we get to the point where we realize it's not our strength and our self-rule that matters, we then begin to see his strength above our own. And so that humility leads us to strength, the strength found in God. And within the context of what scripture is saying, we're being told that God often allows the difficulties to come our way to teach us both our weakness and to teach us about supernatural strength. I rather have his supernatural strength every day in my life than to try to make my weakness in my life my own strength. Instead of preaching that we are to see ourselves as nothing and find all in Christ, we must look at the fact that God, God does more than this statement. God helps those who help themselves. That is probably one of the most false statements that's ever been presented in the pulpits. Nothing could be further from the truth Jesus never structured the purposes of God around themes of self-importance or self-esteem. Rather, he spoke of taking up a cross. He spoke about taking one's life and then laying it down for others. He talked about following in the footsteps of one who's described as the man of sorrows himself, who's acquainted with all grief. Daily life for Jesus could, could mean and understand that it is the purpose we have is so that we can be freed, that we can be redeemed, that we can live life in his fullness, that we can live life in abundance because of Jesus. Purpose for Jesus meant facing opposition. Purpose for Jesus meant that he was going to face uh, his own death. Purpose for Jesus meant that he was going to feel God's wrath because of the sin of the world. Purpose for Jesus meant that he was going to face a rude and crude world. Peter says this is confusing to us. This is hard for the persecuted to understand. So dependence on God means that instead of struggling 
with our cares, nursing our anxieties, complaining about all that God has allowed to come into our lives, we are to turn them back over to him, accept the truth that he will sustain us, and in that sustainment comes only when we understand his strength. In our own strength, we will fail. That was the longest statement that I've ever made without a pause. No? Okay. It got me a little dizzy, I can tell you that. Well, in the midst of all those difficulties, in the course of dealing with the trials, we must be alert. You know, the scripture says to be sober and vigilant. While the Lord wants us to, you know, to be used or, or allow those things to be used to develop us, the enemy would love to devour us. So, therefore, the third principle is to be alert. The verbs sober and vigilant literally mean to be mentally calm and alert, both at the same time. Realize, yeah, that's hard to do, isn't it? Be calm and alert, knowing that God is Lord over our, our anxiety, that God is Lord over all our problematic issues of our life, that God is Lord over any reality that we're facing that seems to be difficult or easy that God is not allowing circumstances to happen to destroy us, but to build us up. Satan wants to destroy us. God wants to build us up. God is not a God who's bringing trials to make us fail. He's bringing circumstances in our life to cause us to succeed. And yet the imagery here is that a hungry lion is on its prowl, looking for something to devour, devour to satisfy the hunger. The literal meaning of the word translated devour here means to consume, to swallow up. So Satan's work is to try to consume us, to swallow us up, to hold us back in our Christian faith. Satan is the enemy of all believers. He is the eternal enemy of our souls. And from the very beginning of time in the Garden of Eden, Satan sought to destroy all that God created. He failed. And when Jesus says, it is finished, Jesus basically spit in his face and said, I am Lord and you are not. God is in control and I've taken the redemption of the entire world upon my shoulders. And the people who believe in me are free. They are redeemed. And nothing is going to take you, take them from the palm of my hand. They are mine and the sheep know my voice. So you got to know that God is in control. He is the strength. He is all that we need. Satan is not greater than God and God is not fighting Satan. Satan is fighting God. That is a false understanding of pantheism if you believe that God is in war with Satan. God is not in war with Satan. Satan is at war with God and he does it through you and me. God is in control. He's the victor. He is Lord of all. Greater is he that is within you and me than he that's in the world. Thanks be unto God for his strength. And how does, how does Satan do that? Now, I'm not going to get into the I just want to enumerate a couple things. How would he try to take our alertness away? He'll do it through temptation. He entices us to act contrary to God's plan, and he wants us to displease God. And so he presents a temptation that's going to take us away from the purity and the holiness and the righteousness of serving God. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 and 17 says, Do not love the world or the things that belong to the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in him. 
Because everything that belongs to the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not from the Father, but it is from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away, but the one who does God's will remains forever. He also does it through deception, not only temptation, but through deception. Since we always act out what we believe, we must believe what is true. Scripture says that the devil is the father of lies and deceiver. He will appear as the angel of light. He will get to us by trying to get us to do his bidding, making us think that somehow that God is, is not worthy to be served. We have the word of God that leads us down the path of righteousness because it is the light unto our path and the lamp unto our feet. That's God's word. He also does it through discouragement. The enemy wants us to question whether it's worth living for Christ. This is not worth it anymore. It's not worth me giving all my time. Psalm 73, verse 2 and 3 says, But for me, my feet almost slipped, my steps nearly went astray, for I envied the arrogant. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. But the psalmist says, But I did not stray. I almost did. So he wants us to get discouraged. And if we get discouraged, we throw in the towel so that we lose our alertness. So understand that there are times in life when troubles come our way, when we look at the unrighteous and we say it's not fair. It looks as if they're prospering and the righteous are not. And yet we, we may even think from time to time, is it worth serving Christ with all these trials and tribulations that come our way? Satan would love to get us discouraged, to get our focus off Christ, to lose our alertness so that we fall away. A fourth principle, understand being humble, being dependent, and being alert. A fourth principle is to be strong, to be strong. When we have humbled ourselves and we found our strength in God, when we have learned the secret of dependence, when we remain on guard against the devil, we stand our ground and we understand strength. And the scripture tells us to be strong. The, de the, the direct relationship with, between strong faith and the ability of life to live and overcoming life is emphasized through Ephesians 6 where he says, Take hold, take up the shield of faith, having put on the full armor of God so that we'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. John 4, 7 says, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. In fact, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5 that we read says, Resist the devil steadfastly in our faith. So when our faith is strong, when our confidence in God is unshaken, it is then and then alone that we have turned the battle over to the Lord. So it's okay to say, God, I'm not worrying about it. Satan's he's tempting me. He's putting a lot of things before me, but I believe that your strength is greater than mine and I'm giving it to you and I'm asking for your hedge of protection and so I'm going about my life trying to serve you and I'm letting you deal with all these things. It's okay to give it to God. It's okay to let him handle the things in your life, to let him put thoughts in your minds that are righteous, to let him guide your heart so that it becomes holy, to move you in a direction that will honor him, to bring him glory. It's okay to say to God, God, I can't handle this, but I know you can. God is good, and he's good all the time, and he wants all that goodness all the time to be good in you. When our faith is strong and when our confidence in God is unshaken, we understand that God is in a battle for us. 
as David stood before Goliath in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 47. It was David who said, the battle is the Lord's. That's how David beat Goliath. It wasn't David's strength. It was God's strength. Because Goliath was way larger, way stronger, and he was way more capable than David ever could be as a teenage boy. And he said, the battle was the Lord. It was Moses in Exodus chapter 14, verse 14. When Moses stood before the people, and, and, he, and there they were up against the Red Sea, and the army of the pharaohs were coming to, to take them over. Moses told the Israelites, the Lord will fight for you. Yes. Be quiet. Don't worry, he said, hush up. Don't worry about it. Let everything settle down within you because the Lord is getting ready to fight for you. And what happened? The seas part. The miracle happened. Throughout Scripture, whenever God's people stood firm in their faith, God came through. And he will come through in your life. Whether it was Daniel in a lion's den or Paul and Silas in a, a Philippian jail, when people put their trust in God, God came through. God will come through for you. Don't give up. Don't get discouraged. Stand firm in your faith and understand that God is in the battle with you and he is battling for you, not against you. Also in verse 9 and going into verse 10, it gives us a, a, a fifth principle that tells us to be prepared. To be prepared. Be prepared for whatever comes in our season. Of course, he's talking to Christians who are facing persecution. He's talking to us who are facing many frustrations and problematic areas of our life, but also could be relation to persecution as well. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, all those who want to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Well, in other words, we'll face some opposition. We'll face some difficulty. As Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in writing of these verses we just read, wrote these words to the early church for the Christ, as Christianity was continuing to spread and becoming bigger and bigger. Our hope is in the triumphal return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our hope is in eternal life in the promises that are eternal. This world is not our home. We are pilgrims. We are strangers. We are sojourners. We will suffer here for a while, but they cannot be avoided. But after we suffer a while, we understand God is in control. God is real. God is who he is. God is not surprised by anything we go through. He is not taken back saying, oh my, what am I going to do now? God is ready to defend you and I and be the God who he is always in our life. And six and last is be assured. Oh boy, we're getting close to dessert now, aren't we? We have the promise that God accomplishes his purposes in us through many different ways, but notice that the adjective Peter uses to describe God. He says, God is the God of all grace. He doesn't say God is the God of some grace. God is the God who wakes up and wants to give grace. He says, God is the God who is all grace. The God who shows unmerited favor toward us. God loves us. He loves you. He loves you just the way you are. He loves you in your bed head and bad breath. He loves you when you're fully dressed. He loves you when you're angry. He loves you when you are glad. He loves you when you're pleasant. He loves you when you're unlovable. God's favor is greater than your merit, and he is greater than anything you deserve. He loves you. His mercy is on you, and stand firm and be assured of that only. And that's enough. 
He cares for you. And the powerfulness of this entire chapter or this entire section of Scripture is what Peter says, that he'll do four things for us. And he says here in verse 10 and gives us four promises that we can understand through this verse 10. He says, he will perfect us, that God will bring us to wholeness. If you think you're whole, wait till God gets through with you. He's got way more wholeness within you and to establish within you, to help you, to guide you, to direct you, more than, and for me, more than we could ever imagine and dream. He is a God who wants to perfect us, lack nothing, complete in us everything that he has begun. He also says that he will confirm us. The idea is to make us firm. Rather than being uncertain, rather than being weak, to, be, to have a resolve and a determined faith, and a trust in him. The promise of verse 10, again as we read it, now the God of all grace, not some grace, the God of all grace who has called you and me unto his eternal glory in Christ Jesus will restore you, establish you, strengthen you, and support you. So we understand he's perfecting us, he is confirming within us, and he is strengthening us. He will use the difficulties to make us stronger. He will enable us to face anything he allows to come our way. And last in that promise is he will establish us. The picture here is the foundation that's not shaky. It is a foundation that's settled. And it's a foundation that is firm. And in Christ, we find that firm foundation. So what are you going through this morning? What are you facing? Maybe life hasn't turned out the way you want it to be. Hadn't turned out the way you've planned. Perhaps the cares and the burdens of life seem more than you can bear. Don't fight it. Let God use these things to humble you and to cause you to depend greater upon Him. It is Paul who says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Verses 3 through 11, he says, These things have happened to me so that I may learn this all-important lesson, that I may not trust in myself, but I trust in God. And the things that have happened to me, that, that's come along, you have come alongside me so that I can come alongside others and comfort those with the same comfort that, you, that I have received in you. So allow those things that God is putting in your way to lead you to this. Are you depending on the Lord today? Are you depending on the Lord today? Maybe those things are happening to get that dependence, to get those eyes focused on Him. Maybe it's a call of attention to, to focus on His strength. Maybe it's so that you and I can become more lowly and humbled. Maybe it's so that we can be reassured and be firm in our resolve. Whatever the situation is, it may all lead back to our dependency on God. God is never, never needs to be your co-pilot. He is your pilot. 
If he's your co-pilot, then we have a say in what God does. But if he's our pilot, then he's guiding us where we need to go. So will you depend on him? Call upon him and serve him with all your heart. Father God, we thank you that you grant to us just the moments together to focus on some positive, wonderful principles dealt right there in Scripture, to be able to establish us and strengthen us greater in our faith and our walk with you, reminding us that you're building us for greater strength. You're building us for a greater faith. You're building us toward a greater purpose and work, that you are not tearing us apart or tearing us down, but you're allowing things to happen so that we become people firm in your kingdom for your kingdom's work that glorifies you and lifts you up as the God of all things. We want to say we love you and we thank you. Thank you for the lessons we learn and thank you for allowing us to be more dependent every day upon who you are. In your name that we pray, amen. My friend, we want to sing a song that Today, we serve him. We serve him with all our heart, with all our soul, with all that we have, giving him our life uh, to live for him in, in his glory and for his great, great good. So let's stand and let's sing that as a song of affirmation as well as a song of invitation. I will serve thee. I love thee, you have given life to me, I was nothing before you found me, you have given life to me, heartaches, broken pieces, been listening to the worship cast brought to you from gathering community church located in surfside beach south carolina for more information about our church and its ministries 
please go to www.gatheringcommunitychurch.com.